Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Hey, Todd. Dr. Widnall. Um, We're going to do a follow-up episode to one we did a while ago. The question was, do people really change? Mm-hmm. Uh, which, on the one hand, yeah, obviously people change. But the, the implication of that question is, um, do people change in a substantial way, especially later in life? I think we all expect that as kids, you can change. You're very malleable and formable. Um, and then, of course, all of us change in little bits, right? We live in different places. We have slightly different experiences. We, you know, mm-hmm. all, all sorts of things change. But I think when people think about that question, it's like, can I go from being a pessimistic person to an optimistic person? Mm-hmm. I had someone ask me that the other day. Um, or can I, I don't know, can I uh, run a marathon, right? Something big, but often kind of personality level things is what that question is getting at, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, can I, can I, I'm such a worrier. Will I ever not be a worrier again? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I think the spirit of that question is what we're getting after. Like the possibility for substantial, sustained um, kind of psychological change. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, we kind of discussed that a little bit um, in the last episode, but I want to talk more specifically about, okay, we're both therapists. So the implication is, yes, we probably do believe that pretty substantial change is possible. I don't think you'd want to go see a shrink who didn't believe that. (laughs) Who didn't believe that people could change. That would be odd, yeah. It makes makes for a good premise for a sitcom or something. Which makes me curious about the client who actually asked you, do you think people could change, right? (laughs) Right. Well, I think people people worry. You know, they they want to believe that, but they get yeah. they get lots of evidence that maybe I can't. Well, and I think I think that question also comes with the assumption that yes, I can change, but how much, right? How yeah. like, that that seems to be right. the, the actual question is like, can I really go from here to here, or will it last? I yeah, think that's another big one, yeah. right? People often make dramatic changes for a little while, but then things kind of regress back to the mean, back sure. to baseline. Sure. Right? So I think. I thought this episode would be good to start from the assumption that yes, it is possible. Um, but if it's going to happen, what are the conditions for that to happen? What needs to happen for that kind of substantial sustained change to, to Mm -hmm. have to actually happen? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I thought based on our experiences, either ourselves or working with clients, um, what are the kind of the common factors or denominators that go into people making really substantial kind of behavioral or psychological changes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of kind of the bigger predictors of change. And I, and I, I believe the first one would be um, one, a, a desire to change, right? Oh, yeah. But everybody wants to, everyone wants to change, right? Well... The intensity of that desire, I think, has a huge impact oh, okay. on the whether that actually happens or not. Yeah, because I mean, everyone wants to be rich. Everyone wants a six pack. Sure, everyone wants to be, <laughs> sure. you know, like. <laughs> yeah, sorry, the six pack <laughs> caught me off. I wasn't. I was trying to think. Well, I'm sure there's a part of the population that doesn't want that, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people's goals. Sure, are, everyone has you know pretty in general pretty shared goals, but there does seem to be this pretty wide 
spectrum of, like you said, the intensity of that. Yeah, the intensity of that desire and um, your willingness to um, endure um, the, the process of that change, bringing that change into fruition, I guess. Um, mm. I'll, I'll, so a lot of people maybe want six-pack abs. Not that many people probably want to do ab exercises to the point where they're going to get six-pack abs. Yeah. So there's there's a big difference there. Right. Everybody would want it. Who's actually willing to endure mm. what it would take to get it? That's interesting. So it's not necessarily how much you want the thing. It's how much are you willing to go through the pain that would be required to get the change that you want. Yeah, do you want it that bad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so I, I think it's easy to say I want. Um which I guess we could just classify as a desire. Then we'd have to assess your willingness to to alter your behavior in order to bring that out. Okay, so the obvious follow-up question to that then is like, how come people differ so much on this quality of being able to tolerate discomfort and pain in the pursuit of a goal? Mm. Where does that come from? Mm. Is that just a, people have a gene for it? Is it willpower? Is it like, what is that? Yeah, and and here's where it gets tricky, I think. So much of psychology is like this, though. There's so many variables, right? There's so, uh, a person's prior history um, with change, you know, have they been Mm -hmm. successful with that in the past with with bringing out different outcomes? Um, That's a, okay, that's a great point that I think a lot of people don't consider is mm -hmm. that to, I think to some extent, you can, changing is a skill, Sure. It's something that can be taught. That's all it is. Or not taught. Yeah. Yeah, right? developed or not developed, right? So if you, I mean, imagine two people. One person who has never really stretched themselves or, or had anyone kind of coach them through or help them through setting their sights high and, and working slowly but steadily to mm-hmm. achieve a goal, mm-hmm. right? And then someone who has had that really supportive parents or mentors or teachers who have kind of coached them through yeah, you know what? You can try out for the varsity team as a sophomore. And if you, here's how you would work really hard to get there. And here's what you do when you feel bad. And like, now, even if those two people are 40 years old and they're both considering trying to learn how to play the piano. Right. Right. I would put a lot of money on the second person is going to be more likely to achieve that goal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The the person who has a history of, of, or or have been taught. In general, how how to to go through the process of, tolerating discomfort um, in in the pursuit of something worthwhile. Assertive behavior, continued assertive behavior, yeah, to bring about change, yeah. Which sort of implies that it, it's, it's not that it's, there's some, you just have a bigger organ in your body for pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. It's that you learn skills and strategies that help you deal with that kind of yeah, you, pain and discomfort. You, you maybe have practiced that process over and over, um, and when a new change shows up, you know, kind of what's re- going to be re- generally required to bring that about, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be a process where in the beginning it's going to be hard oh. and difficult, but if you stick with it, it'll get easier and easier and easier. Mm-hmm. And eventually you'll, you'll so be able to do realistic thing. expectations would be yeah. one, right there off the bat, yeah. right? Yeah. Going into something. And that's actually something I see a lot is people who struggle with making big changes. They often have really wild expectations. Mm-hmm. Like kind of assuming it's going to be either quick or easy. relatively easy. Or it should be easy. Yeah. yeah right. Um, and they just, it, it's just way off. Yeah. Um, and, uh, whereas other people have more realistic 
kind of knowledge about what it what major change actually entails. Mm-hmm. So w- one of the things I think that can often be really helpful is find someone who's made a similar change and get the details yeah. on what's that actually like. Yeah, how did that go? Get what the was that facts. Process? Yeah. yeah, what was hard for you? What was easy for you? What, right. How yeah. long did it take? Yeah. How many times did you screw what up? What advice like, would you give someone who's about to undergo that? Right. Yeah. Because they probably learned something in the process mm-hmm. they wish they would have known before. Yeah. And if nothing else, it just it will just give you a more realistic picture of what that and and set your expectations a little more realistically. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people embark on some big change project with naive expectations, and then when they inevitably stumble, probably early on, they it there's a mismatch. They think I well this was supposed to happen in this time frame and it didn't like, I guess I'm just not cut out for this and then they give up. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the interesting point. You know, a lot of clients I I think come to therapy and they, they kind of assume you have the answer for them. You, you know exactly what they need to do in order to bring about some change. And and the reality is that your therapist is going to take a lot of time to learn about you Mm-hmm. And your your own unique kind of personality characteristics and past behavior and some of those things, in order to kind of really get a good idea of who you are and what might motivate you to change, um, but your your therapist in the beginning is going to learn alongside you. They're yep. they're trying to get a really good feel for what makes you tick and what motivates you, so that later in the process they can actually use those same motivations to help you bring about change. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I think a lot of um, patients kind of come in with the idea that, hey, Nick's just going to tell me exactly what I need to do in the first or second session to um, finally get out of this (laughs) terrible relationship that I've been trying to get out of forever. Right. Right. Um, And and that is, again, that expectation issue where they're they're not Mm -hmm. ready for it. And then when you actually start outlining what that might look like, the the reasons they haven't made the change become fairly apparent. Mm. And, and, and to really note those those reasons, I think. I, I think a lot of people ignore the reasons change is hard sometimes. Yeah, they spend so much time thinking about the change that they, they don't want, anticipate yeah. the obstacles and the, the details of the steps it's going to take to get there. And, and which brings me to that willingness part again. Are you, are you willing to change your behavior, maybe experience some really aversive emotions mm-hmm. that maybe you've been avoiding for a reason? Mm-hmm. Um, to bring about that change. Yeah. Yeah. So that willingness to endure Mm -hmm. discomfort. Yep. I got another one that's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. That's a very, seems to me kind of a very internal thing, like your expectations, willingness to endure discomfort. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think another, a very external thing that people uh, underestimate with a lot of major change projects is their environment. Mm -hmm. So the really classic example is um, the person who wants to diet but continues to buy junk food and keep their house stocked full of junk food, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe who has a spouse that eats that stuff and buys it and stocks everything totally. all the time, right? Right. Um, or who insists on going to the gym across town because it's $5 a month cheaper right? instead of paying the extra five bucks to go to the one that's two blocks away. Right. Right? Yeah. And then that, the the pain and inconvenience of having to drive a half an hour to get to the gym instead of being able to walk to the gym in five minutes mm-hmm. ends up sabotaging their goals, right. their efforts, right? right. Um, so I think you're, 
the environment can can play a surprisingly big role. Sure, sure. Um, and, and thinking through what are the, I think of this as friction. Like when I think about my goal and then all the all of the environment that stands between me and my goal, mm-hmm. what are the sticky points? What are the points that are going to be obstacles or cause me friction? Mm-hmm. So if I want to go to the gym more often, right? Having, knowing that the gym is, I'm going to have to spend an hour's worth of car time to and from. Right. Whew, man, that's tough. Or even I was talking with someone who wants to start running in the morning and he was, he was describing his getting out of bed and feeling kind of groggy and then describing his process of having to find his like running gear. Mm-hmm. And this, this just blew my mind, but he was like, he was saying <laughs> he doesn't have a consistent place where he keeps his running shoes or his like running shorts or clothes. So he's, there's this process, this like five minute process early in the morning when he's groggy of like trying to find all of his running stuff. Right. And what he told me is he wakes up and he thinks, okay, I'm going I'm to do it. And he kind of gets out of bed and then he thinks like, I don't, I don't even know where my stuff is. Yeah, I don't want to like, search for 20 Ooh, minutes. it's cold out. Like I, and then he gets back in bed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So something as simple as not knowing where your running gear is. Mm-hmm. That could be the difference between, imagine the opposite scenario where the night before, the running shoes, socks, clothes are all laid out, Yeah. right? The thermostat is set to increase 15 mm-hmm. minutes before he gets out of bed, so it's not so cold. Mm-hmm. Like, these <laughs> right. things seem really stupid, but I think they actually make a really big difference in the long run. I think you're right. I, I think that's a good thing. I, I also, though, I, I try to... I try to build up. I, I, I actually I agree with you 100. Make reducing the friction is something important. I, I think there's a great utility to that. If if this client though continually does this, right, then then the idea would be like, look, you either figure out how to reduce some of these environmental friction points or sticking mm-hmm. points, or you figure out how to motivate yourself through the cold weather and not having your gym clothes handy. You're going to have to build a desire to engage those processes mm. more than avoid them if this is going to happen. So, so for example, um, let's say the person who drives half an hour across town loves that because their friend is a member of that gym mm. and they love working out with mm-hmm. their friend, right? And so they really do want to stay to that gym, yeah. but they're noticing, man, when I get home from work, I'm tired and I don't, you know, it's, I just sit there and I struggle Okay, well, one way to do that is to head straight to the uh, to the gym from the office mm-hmm. or whatever, so you don't have that pit stop, or practice having a pit stop and still going. You know how how to do those things that are or that are kind of causing you, and that's what I meant earlier when I said usually people who tried to or attempted to change have done it multiple times, and usually oh. some of the boundaries that they hit or some of those sticking points they hit they hit over and over mm-hmm. and over again. So in my mind, yeah, if you can reduce that sticking point, let's do it. If not, though, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with that, right? How yeah. to motivate you through that process. Because for some clients, the, the gym is two blocks away. Mm-hmm. For some clients, it is easy to get to. There's just that kind of don't want to emotional reaction to it. Right. And it's how do we get through that sticking point, right? That's more of a emotional one. Mm-hmm. or a thought process one than it is a environmental boundary. It may look like an environmental boundary, but it's probably more for your client. It's more of that like, Oh, I'm groggy. I don't, I, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. How do we get through that? Yeah. So this, I, th- we might disagree on this. I, oh. I bet you <clears throat> if you looked at people who make a substantial 
change in some area. Like maybe it's running in the morning, maybe it's learning an instrument, maybe it's thinking more optimistically, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. My bet would be that most people who end up making that change, it has less to do with building up a tolerance for discomfort. And it has, I'm not saying that's not important, but I think the bigger thing is they figure out, a, they creatively figure out a way to do it that is just inherently less uncomfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So people who end up, people who figure, take addiction, right? Someone who has some sort of major addiction. Mm-hmm. I think a pretty common factor among people who recover and, and overcome an addiction is they figure out alternative ways to get what they want that previously the the addictive substance or behavior was the was the only way they could get that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So they identify a way to get what they need somewhere else, right? Or so the person who successfully goes to the gym, right? Maybe it has to do, maybe it's not the distance. Maybe it's that they keep trying some exercise that they don't actually like. Mm-hmm. Maybe you hate could running, could be, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe you'd be much happier as a cyclist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Maybe that's your thing. Totally, yeah. Um, but I, I, I guess I just don't see... I don't have a lot of examples of people who have made a sustained major change for whom it was like gut-wrenching the whole way. Like it was this major force of will and discipline and mm. perseverance. I mean, there are definitely moments of that. Yeah. You definitely need that at times. Yeah. But I think usually like when you really ask people, it's a lot of people will tell you like, yeah, it was hard, but it was also maybe not as hard as you're imagining because they approached it in a smart or creative way. Yeah. Well, here's, here's my thought and we do disagree on this. This is our first disagreement. (laughs) I, I'm not a fan of the tricks and, and I think that laying your gym clothes out early in the morning while a good trick is a trick. Wait, why is it a trick? What makes it a trick? Well, you're reducing that environmental kind of friction and that's a great thing. The bigger barrier to why people get stuck is emotional. And and so let's say the the person does move their gym and they go to the they they stop going to the one that's thirty minutes away and they go to the one that's two blocks away, mm-hmm. and then they get transferred and they move to an area where there's not a gym close by. Mm-hmm. Well, now now that trick is not handy. There's no gym two blocks away, right? And they're stuck maybe having to drive thirty minutes to get to a gym if they're going to go, right? If that's the case, or they have to figure out a way to exercise at home. Beautiful, that love works that too. For them. That that might be good too. Why is that not a trick? Um, well, if you're able to hit your goal, if that's what you want to do, but if, if you, let's say, let's say you go to this, you, you love your spin class or whatever it is, okay. like in my mind, let's figure out what the, re- let's go as far upstream as we possibly can to figure out what the actual emotional barrier is that you're handling because the environment can change on you. You, you can't predict the environment. What you can do is develop that willingness to endure that that frustration over and over and build your tolerance to the point where it doesn't matter if the gym's two blocks away or an hour away, you're going to go. I don't know. I think the environment is super predictable a lot of the time. My, my food environment is incredibly predictable. Your food environment. Like, let's say I was working on eating, right? Mm-hmm. 90% of my eating happens at home. Yep. yep. So if, if, my, if I take care of my food environment at home, yeah. I'm golden. Good. So, so let's say we, we go back to that client that um, lives with a spouse who buys tons of junk food, 
stocks it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the client is like, I, they, they refuse to do that. They say that just because I'm going on a diet, they don't have to go on a diet. Mm-hmm. What do you do? How, how, how in the world is that person going to refine the environment enough to be able to do to, I mean, do they have to divorce their spouse? Do they have to move out? Like how do they, how is that person going to control the environment enough to be able to do that? I actually, and we're really going to disagree on this one. <laughs> I think it's incredibly unlikely that that person would actually successfully change. I would agree with you. It's going to be incredibly unlikely. But if it happens, it's going to be because that person figures out how to resist eating junk food surrounded by junk food and not managing their environment all the time. But I agree with you. It would be incredibly hard. Like so statistically uncommon that it's virtually zero. It would be difficult. It would be difficult. But it, unless that person's willing to divorce their spouse, or I, or, I don't or, know. Or here's what. One. So here's yeah. here's a trick I would do if I was okay. in that situation. Here's what I would do. Okay. I I would basically buy my own food and keep it at the office and in my car. Uh huh. So if I know there's tons of junk food in the house in the evenings. I would eat a ton of healthy food before I got home so that I was full okay. when I was home. Okay. And it, it's way less, it's way easier to resist the urge to eat crappy food when you're not at, when you're full. I'm going to guess that that might help. I don't know how much, but once, once that person gets in that environment and all that stuff's laying around, I, I'm going to, again, say that, that would be pretty difficult. Okay. My, so my next option would be I would work on my spouse. I would really and, and work on that. you definitely want to target that. But we all know spouses, and sometimes they are not going to lend themselves to. If you, and maybe this is a little judgmental of me, if you have a spouse <laughs> that who's sounded not, really awful. Who's not all spouses <laughs> are going to keep you from goals. If you have a spouse who's not willing to be flexible on mm-hmm. something that important mm-hmm. to you, oh, it's I really do think you should reconsider your relationship. Well, there's the alternative then, right? Yeah. And that's going to be a massive one too. But okay, so there's another uh, condition for change is you often have to be willing to do really to take things. really difficult action. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, and I think, and that comes along with its own difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure which was worse. Let's say the, the, the partnership's a great one, except for this one sticking point of like, I will eat what I want to eat and you can't tell me what to do there, which is true. Right? I can, can you really imagine that situation? A person is otherwise a, completely a, wonderful, except they're totally rigid on the food they keep in their house. I had I had a, <laughs> a, a, a person like this, actually. It was a fairly good marriage, except for when she started losing weight a lot, spouse sabotaged her like crazy and was really pretty actively vocal in like, I'm afraid you're moving on without me, and that's terrifying to me. And it wasn't like they were mean or abusive. They were just really afraid and anxious, but getting them to change that behavior was really difficult. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have anything against the tricks. I think it does help. And I, I hate calling them tricks. I shouldn't use that. I don't have anything against so judgmental, these environmental demands. <laughs> but I do think that there's something to, that's great until the environment changes. And environments change. And then you're going to have to figure out a different then environment you adapt management. Again. Yeah. Or you adapt upstream with the emotional, mm-hmm. like, Hey, I can, I can manage these kind of situations. I have that school skill set in my repertoire that I can do this. Yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think I'm just a super environmentalist when it comes to I like goals this. I like that and you're motivation. I like, I like the environmental things. In fact, I've regularly talked about clients about, Hey, put your gym clothes out the night before. That'll help a lot. 
The other part, though, is such an emotional part where it's like my don't want to sometimes or my insecurities or my fears or my anxiety or my hopelessness is the real boundary there. It's that that's the bigger one. It's like I am afraid that when I get to the gym, I'm going to look like an idiot or I'm, you know, those issues tend to be bigger issues than. I can't find my gym clothes in the morning. Yeah. Sometimes I think I should have been a sociologist instead of a psychologist. <laughs> Cause I, no, I, don't. I often think, well, it's, it's interesting. Well, yeah, we won't get down that <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I just think there's so like so much of the effect on our goals and our ability to meet them or not has to do with, um, our environment, especially the people in our environment. And I think it's, it is very hard to to change those and to mm-hmm. to think carefully about those decisions about what kind of people and things you let into your environment and your world. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where I personally think that's where people should put be putting much more of their energy and focus. This is cool because this would kind of illustrate the difference in our opinion. You would say be very careful about the people you let into your environment mm-hmm. because they can impact you a great deal. And I agree with this. I, I really do. Yeah. I might say develop the skill of being able to follow your assertive path despite the people who are in your life. No, no matter what other people are doing around you. Um, so there w- might be the distinguishing you mm-hmm. know, characteristic where I think and, both and are effective. I mean, right, if we, you do limit the people around you, then you're, you're going to have a better experience, but there's always people in your life, boss, employee, coworker, whatever that you don't have control of exactly. that can impact that. And you want to have that, that, tool in your tool belt to say, well, despite what they do, I can keep their impact away from me or I can mitigate the the impact of that. Yeah, I I guess, I mean, obviously we we both think both are important, but it's a matter Mm -hmm. of degree, right? Um, And maybe a matter of order. So if you're going to achieve any goal, it's going to involve both your emotions and your environment, changing Mm -hmm. sort of how you think about your internal changes and external Mm -hmm. changes, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes the question is, what, which do you need to attack first? Mm-hmm. Where do you start? Yeah, so I, I might think, start with the environmental things. Well, I think it depends. I mean, that's, I think at any juncture, any sticking point, you have to assess that. And I think what most people do is mm-hmm. they make the mistake of always internalizing. Mm-hmm. They think like, I need to be more disciplined. I Something's need more willpower. Something's yeah. wrong with me. Yeah. And they ignore fairly obvious helpful environmental things. No, you're exactly right. And sometimes the environmental thing is the thing, right? I mean, right. sometimes it is the fact that the gym's half an hour away and not. And, and so if that is the thing, that's great. Um, but to also be able to, to recognize that sometimes the thing is actually an emotional thing and dealing with that emotional thing would probably be the better. Sure. And even, even making an environmental change is going to evolve emotion, right? To some extent to some extent. So yeah. obviously both both kind of matter, yeah. but I think just and maybe the point we can agree on is you, you really have to be you have to have this um this kind of awareness of the situation you're in. Like I'm I'm in, uh, you have to be able to think strategically about your own behavior. Mm-hmm. Like okay, I hit this stuck point. What is that I need to reassess? I'm going to step back. I'm going to think strategically. Why am I getting stuck? Right. What would be the most likely path to success mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah. should i work on kind of building my emotional tolerance here are there obvious environmental things i can change right which one maybe if both are potentially helpful which one's more likely to be helpful yeah but that ability to step back and kind of assess 
Yeah. From a, from no, a, yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm reformulating my opinion. I, I think definitely that the assessment's the thing to do and then to really target what it is. Um, and, and oftentimes with my clients, I'll, we'll introduce a new behavior and, um, um, I'll, I'll also want them once that behavior is kind of in place and they can do it fairly easily, I'll want them to practice failures, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I want them to kind of, so, so I have a client now who's really, um, got a great goal to work out in the mornings, I think three days a week. Right. And, and she wants to do it first thing in the morning. Great. Once you have that in place though, miss a, miss a morning and do an afternoon because mm-hmm. I want the skill there so that mm-hmm. if they're unable to do it, they can go, Oh, I've got that yeah. skill set anyway and I can do this other thing. I love that idea of practicing failure. I yeah, I really do. Technique. I think practicing failure is where it's at um, because it's going to happen. You know, right. I, you can control the environment to a point, but there might be a doctor's appointment that she has to get to that's at 8 a.m. and it's right in the middle of her exercise time. Does that mean she doesn't stick to that goal or does that mean, you know, what practice failure and see how it goes and make sure that you're able to get back into the saddle after something like that or that you're able to kind of work around something like that as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So yeah. you're right. Assessment is the thing. Yeah. I mean. I don't think we're that far off. Kumbaya. We can get along. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.